Welcome to another exciting episode of LingoFest, a weekly podcast where we discuss digital audio and cutting-edge human language-based technology, robots that converse with humans, and how we can raise awareness in ourselves and those we engage to ensure that we build a healthy, sustainable future. This podcast is brought to you by Rokos. Companies with limited IT budgets and personnel can now get the same cybersecurity protection as big enterprises. Rokos' Secure Access Service Edge, SASE solution, with zero trust, provides enterprise-grade comprehensive cybersecurity so that you can focus on your business. For more, please visit rokos.com. That's R-O-Q-O-S.com. And now here's your host, Dr. Ahmed Bouzid, founder and CEO of Witlingo. Zoltan Istvan, welcome. Thank you. Welcome to Lingofest. Um, is that is that the way to say your last name, Istvan? Yes, yes, perfect. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, so um, to to go beyond the big headlines, um, you know, the things that you're known of, and we'll we'll talk about that. I, I went to your LinkedIn and I I perused a long list of things that you've done. I'm sure it's a subset of all the things that you've done, and you've done a lot of things. Um, for instance, um, you have an undergraduate degree from Columbia uh, philosophy, right? Um, by the way, Columbia is the alma mater for uh, one of our friends, common friends, Professor Steve Fuller. He was also a graduate from Columbia. Oh, you know, I didn't know that. That's yeah. Well, oh, now that's you know. great. <laughs> <laughs> now you know. Um, you're also you were a journalist in National Geographic, right? Uh, for a while, uh, you traveled the world, uh, literally, uh, you, you, you sailed, I believe, uh, <laughs> when you were, what, 20, 21, 22, um, um, that you own, you own vineyards, for instance, uh, is one of your things, right? Um, and you, are you uh, pursuing a degree in Oxford right now? Or yes, you... so right, right now, I'm also doing the master's degree in ethics in the philosophy department. Wonderful, excellent. So you have a very full life, <laughs> to say the least. Um, so I'm eager to touch on all that. Um, but let's start with what you are known uh, best for, which is transhumanism. Um, so you are the founder uh, of the Transhumanist Party, um, and you ran in 2020 um, on the Republican banner, right? Um, and which I think was very smart because you, you got to use that platform to get the word out about transhumanism um, and so on. Um, uh, and you're also a um, this a subject of a of a documentary, Immortality or Bust, in 2019, right? Um, yes. Right, and it was a it was a feature doc documentary by Daniel Solinger, and uh, it was produced by David uh, K. Kitch. Is that how you say it? Um, who is yes. Of Maximum Life Foundation, where, and I'm gonna quote his Twitter uh, tagline. Um, he says, "Biotech, infotech, nanotech." Uh, meet to reverse aging by 2033. Interesting, uh, and, and of course. Um, so let me start by sharing with you, in my own words, what I understand transhumanism to be, and then and I would love your reaction to it. Um, so here's my definition in my own words after I've, I've watched and read and so on, um, and it goes like this. Transhumanism is a movement whose proponents actively and unabashedly promote enhancement of the welfare of human beings and other beings 
through the use of sophisticated technologies. So that's my definition. So first of all, do you think that comes close to defining what it is? Um, and if so, um, as, as it stands, it's not a very controversial um, sort of statement. And yet, and this is where I'd love your feedback, and yet transhumanism uh, stirs controversies. Um, why do you think that is the case? Sure, sure. Well, let me just first say, uh, just in, in honor of David Kitesh, who was the producer of that documentary, uh, he passed away in the last year. He was cryogenically frozen. Um, and so his quote is even more pertinent before he didn't quite make it to the 2033, but he may make it one day. So let's, I just wanted to put that in. Okay, there. no, so that's little, important. I did not. Know. Yeah. Thank so he, he, he was very old, uh, handicapped. He did pass away and he is now cryogenically uh, in suspension. But my definition of transhumanism is quite similar to yours. I kind of have a standard definition, you know, going to the Latin just means going beyond human, but it's using science and technology to radically modify the human being and also to modify the human experience. And I think what's important there is actually to modify the human experience because that can mean things like virtual reality. It can mean things like climbing Mount Everest with an exoskeleton suit. It can even mean something as basic as driverless cars or robots in your house. But generally speaking, so people kind of have something to grapple with is transhumanism is the top 10% of the most radical science that is out there. And so that top 10% is always changing as it's always evolving, but whatever is that top 10 most radical, you know, percent in science and technology, that's really what I tend to think of as transhumanism because it's sort of leading us down that path. And of course, these days, transhumanism is much more than just the science. It's become a social movement. Right. Uh, now many millions of people around the world, maybe not everybody calls themselves a transhumanist, but certainly they are believers in, in the mission in itself, which is to use science to get us off planet, to turn us into something that's beyond our biology, to become super enhanced, superhuman beings. And uh, I think there's, uh, you know, I, I used to say there are millions, but there's certainly tens of millions of advocates of these kinds of ideas now. Yeah, okay. Um, so, I mean, I mean, in a sense, we have always been transhumanists in that we um, are striving to go beyond our uh, biological limitations. So uh, the shoes that we invented enabled us to walk distances um, you know, in places that we couldn't. The glasses that I wear, for instance, enable me to see and so on and so forth. So in a way, there's sort of a baseline transhumanism that we've always um, has been always has always been part of of who we are as human beings, um, uh, but in your case, I guess in in the, the definition of transhumanism, it's taking it to the next level uh, where it's beyond simply enabling us to do the things that we can do comfortably. Um, and and what like give, like for when you said like uh, being able to go to other planets, um, would that be an example of that? That's just beyond what we've been doing. I I would certainly say so, but I think a lot of people may not see it that way. I think a, a better kind of example might be you have a you know a person, a, a soldier who's fighting in Afghanistan. He lost his arm. You put on a robotic arm that ties into the neural system, and now that robot can play the piano or hug his wife or spouse, whatever partner, and then also uh, you know can grab a beer. That's transhumanism because it's applied technology to your life. But let me just say, you know, it, what you pointed out was very interesting just a minute ago about how, you know, we have always been transhuman. In fact, it's not just we, it's every single biological entity on planet Earth is in a, you know, a, a kind of a form of evolution. And evolution in its nature is very transhuman. Evolution is always trying 
to uh, improve us. And therefore anything is sort of always trying to improve. So it's kind of, there is this kind of weird metaphysical um, yeah. <clears throat> concept that evolution in itself is transhumanist in nature. Yeah, yeah. Except that the difference is that there's intention and there's speeding up, uh, uh, you know, from the human side, right? Where, right? Of course, of course. But you know, just to be a little bit weird, um, intention is hard to know. We live in a, you know, we here we are on planet Earth, where one of billions and billions of planets that are probably habitable in the universe. Uh, do we potentially live in a simulation theory? Are we potentially uh, creations of some aliens and some far off planet? I mean, if, if there are trillions of planets, so. Intention may have been evolution, just to be very slow about it. It's hard to know. So I don't want to. I don't want to no, no, say. I don't want to say any of that is is accurate or true. But right. I just want to point out what other people might say that you know, the, the entire universe might be in the state of improving itself. In fact, I actually believe that in my book, the Transhumanist Wager, teleological egocentric functionalism is the philosophy, and it's really a philosophy of improvement. It says that the entire universe is designed to improve itself. And um, I see humans as just a very small part of that right now. Maybe we'll become a much larger part as we become AI and things like that. But um, in the moment, um, it, 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 we're totally, you know, um, transhuman in that sense. Yeah, I, we lost your camera. Sorry, uh, I got a call. One second. I'm going to just delete this and get back okay. to you in a sec. Okay. There we are. Excellent. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, gonna... Just to double click on, on that, uh, what you just said. <clears throat> Um, if we look at, um, say, natural selection, right, and there's an evolution that happens there over a long period of time, but natural selection is selecting um, for survival of a species, not an individual member of the species, right? Um, given the environment, the species as, as, a, as a whole, the unit for evolution is, is a species, not an individual. And so it sacrifices individuals, right? You're too, you're too short for these partic this particular environment, so you need to be weeded out so that improvement really is an improvement um, at that level. Whereas human beings, it seems to me, and this is one of the tensions I wanted to talk to you about, is um, transhumanism as conceived, um, I think, right now, is that it focuses on the individual. And it doesn't seem to be focused on, on the species. And I think that's one of the tensions that a lot of people, or a couple of people in your documentary pointed out is, you know, uh, are we just myopically focusing on uh, improving individuals at the cost of, of a species? And is that a, a, an important difference between the kinds of improvements that have been happening forever and the ones that transhumanism is pushing? Well, that's a great question because, you know, I think one of the big criticisms that transhumanism gets all the time is that we're a bunch of selfish people. We just want to improve ourselves, become gods, but we're not really concerned with the overall population. And myself being involved in politics, this has been one of the big things that I've kind of run up against. Um, honestly, I, I think, uh, you know, going again back to like the core of my own personal philosophy, which would be teleological, egocentric functionalism, this idea that the, the universe is improving itself, but on an individual basis, it's always egocentric. And I have gotten a lot of trouble for this because this is somewhat of a libertarian philosophy. It's, it's yep. me, it's, it's my freedom, it's, it's me improving and that's what's kind of the highest priority. And I think that's sort of what motivates the world forward. Now, evolution might have a much bigger plan for me even if I don't agree with it or I don't want it. But the reality is that um, I'm sort of interested as a first priority in myself 
And then in my, perhaps my family, or maybe even my family before me, but certainly not the tribe or the country before me, generally speaking, I'm more important, more interested in myself. And, and, and I think most transhumanists feel this way at a very basic level, even if they don't want to admit it on a public format. But this is a problem we butt up against. The good news, though, is that I, I do subscribe to a philosophy that really says oftentimes what's best for the individual uh, ends up best for the society. And the reason is, is because we individuals are the ones who tend to make innovation happen. OK, there, there is a lot of push behind it. There's a lot of community. But it tends to really be single inventors who come up with an idea and they push it forward and that idea spreads. And as long as we have single inventors pushing forward the movement, um, society is going to be benefiting on the backs of these single ideas. And so uh, I think that's really important now, but there is a balance, don't get me wrong. Nobody can carry the world entirely themselves. Nobody's responsible for their own greatness entirely. There, it is a group effort to many way, in many ways. But I still subscribe to a little bit of the egocentric perspective, which says it does start with a spark from a single mind. And that single mind having the freedom and the individuality to do that is what's really critical for transhumanism moving forward. Something like, like Elon Musk having you know, the ingenuity to create all these new ideas, and then the world follows and supports them financially and supports them with millions of researchers, and that goes forward. I think that's been very beneficial for society as a whole. This is capitalism, except instead of capitalism in terms of money, it's capitalism in terms of life extension, in terms of transhumanism, in terms of our culture and things like that. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, uh, well, let me, uh, let me triple click therefore <laughs> and say the following. Um, okay, the, the, you know, the, the model of an emerging um, health of a society uh, through um, the selfish pursuits of, of individuals, right? It's, a long, it's an old idea and it's uh, validated to a certain extent, you know, Adam Smith and all that. Um, you know, everybody should just focus on their own. Um, and as long as there are laws and so on, um, eventually, eventually um, something good will emerge. And we've seen that. I mean, nobody can dispute the fact that capitalism has resulted in, um, in advancements in, on many fronts, on many fronts, right? Now, um, my my um, my question to you is the following: We since let me see since the late seventies, right, uh, with the introduction of, of computing at a at a large scale, we have seen productivity um, just skyrocket, right, in terms of the output from individuals, right, um, and so there are charts out there, and one of them is my favorite, which shows um, productivity going this way, and compensation right for that productivity going this way right whereas before that um if you are just productive you know it went like that and then all of a sudden it, di it diverged so that um there's a there's a great deal of wealth and so forth that's being generated but it's not being distributed uh adequately um now one can say hey you know this is a, this is out of the scope of the transhumanist um and transhumanist is focused and cannot solve all the problems of the world is focused on on, 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 on productivity, health, you know, making the, you know, making, uh, um, coming up with uh, advances in health and, you know, in all kinds of things. Um, where, uh, so that, you know, but, but the question of who benefits from that uh, and whether we have a society that benefits as a whole is not a concern. So question to you, since you, uh, you ran um, for a presidency, uh, is the following, if you had won and you had become president of the United States, which by the way, um, is no longer 
something that uh, that is out of um, when anyone anyone who runs for president today, I will consider that they have a chance to win given that Donald Trump won. That's my statement. <laughs> so let's say you had one. What would what would you do? Uh, what would be your program? Because that, then it would be more than simply promoting technology. It would be obviously looking at the you know the social consequences of taking transhumanism seriously. What would you do, um, especially concerning that you know that divergence between wealth creation that you know it's, that's basically settling in the top, and it's not being shared by the by the masses. Well, you know, I, I had a number of platforms of big, different things that I would have done in various campaigns. I've run three major campaigns, one uh, where I was the you know, president, presidential candidate in 2016 for the Transhumanist Party. Uh, one, as you mentioned, when I ran directly against Donald Trump in his own party in hoping to you know, stop Trump. Um, and also I ran as a gubernatorial candidate in 2018 as, for the Libertarian Party. I was their endorsed candidate, and that was in California. Um, in all three instances, uh, I supported really two core policies. And just, we won't talk about the first one too much because that's a little bit more transhuman. But the first one was, we have a massive military industrial complex in the United States. And I have always said, we spend 20% of our GDP on bombs, and things like that. I have always uh, advocated for cutting that at least in half, maybe more, and dedicating a huge amount of that money towards the health and the science and improving the science uh, that could bring better health to people. And, and, and you know, this is, again, this may have been for American politics, but these ideas can run to any kind of campaign in anywhere around the world. So if people have taken them up, it'd be great. But the point is, we spend 2% on science and technology and health and, and like medical healthcare, as opposed to 20% on bombs. I think we should change that so we could spend it on people. And I want to change the military industrial complex into a science or a medical industrial complex. So my American fellows and people around the world could live dramatically longer. But that's not really the question you're asking. What you're actually asking is what were the social things that I would have done? And for me, the most important one, and the one I've always advocated for, is a universal basic income. Because I agree with you, the, the, the rich are becoming richer, uh, especially after COVID. You can see it just like pure daylight. The people have doubled, tripled their wealths, um, where the poor, who were getting a little bit of money, were happy for a sec. And now they're finding inflation is way more <laughs> way higher than the actual money they received. So they're poorer than ever before. And, um, and this is really driving me nuts because this was not the intent when we tried to save people from dying from COVID. But the point of the story is that had we had a universal basic income from the start, we would not have had to have dealt with the ramifications of the lockdowns. People just could have been locked down <clears throat> and had money enough for healthcare, for, for their you know, shelter, their food, things like that. So I have always advocated for a universal basic income and that universal basic income can apply to everyone. So even if you're rich, you still get some, even if you're poor, you get some, even if, I think, you know, the basics should be covered. You should have basic healthcare. You should have a roof over your head. I, I don't want to see homeless on the street. Not only does it, not only is it terrible for the homeless people and sad for them, it's also just, uh, it, it's just not right. We're, we're a very rich world. We can afford yeah. to put them everywhere. And we need something like the universal basic income that just simply covers everyone's basic expenses. Now, if they choose to work on top of that and they choose to participate in the capitalistic um, uh, world, that's great. You know, they can then be dog eat dog, make as much money as they want, but at least they, everybody would have enough at the very basic. So that, that's the way I solve this, this. You know, don't get me wrong, this still may happen. The rich still may get much richer than the poor. 
but at least the poor have the basics covered so they're not on the street hungry. And even in America, we still have something like 15 million kids hungry every day. So it, it, we have a big problem in America that the poor are often much more poor than they are in Europe. And I've seen this from my travels uh, you know, into Europe over the last few years at Oxford and also through uh, just other European places I've been. Uh, you guys don't have the same amount of poor or homeless that we have. We, we have dramatically more. And so America has to do something like universal basic income to take over those, you know, to, to save those kids from going to bed hungry at night and to take the two or three million people off the streets. I mean, you can't go to San Francisco where I live and not see thousands of homeless and tents. It's, it's become in, in unbelievable and outrageous, to be honest. Now, it is unbelievable, um, given that the, this, this society is so wealthy, you know. Um, and on top of that, and I'm, I'm totally uh, aligned with you as far as uh, universal basic income, um, and I have never understood um, a society uh, such as the United States, which claims to, um, to celebrate innovation, celebrate risk-taking, um, would not advocate for that because then if you have UBI, right, you could, uh, you could be a lot less hemmed into your cubicle because you are hemmed into your cubicle because you don't want to lose your health care because you have kids to take care of, right? And, um, and as you well know, I'm sure, um, one, is, one cannot be creative when one is completely just sucked by worry, right? Um, right? I, I, I don't know, but I'm very creative when I, I'm relaxed. I don't have things on my mind. I'm not worried about this or that. I can relax. I can think, you know, I can be creative. Um, and imagine the, um, I mean, imagine the, the creativity that will be unleashed if we had a UBI, people being able to take risks, being, being able to take an idea that they always wanted to turn into a company or a product and do it, right? Um, especially given our times where you can do a lot with, uh, with minimal, um, you know, cost. You can build a piece of software without having to spend a lot of money, really, right? Um, anyway, so I'm, I'm a big advocate of, of UBI, and I think that would address the reason I, what I was um, reason why I was uh, bringing that up is that is an example of so wealth money is one example of wealth, but another kind of wealth is access to these amazing technologies that transhumanists will um, put on the market. For example, let's say you lose a lose an arm, right? Um, I mean, it's going to cost money for you to get hold of, uh, of, of something that allows you to do exactly what you described, which is grab a beer and all that, play piano. And who has access to that, right? Um, uh, would, uh, would it be able to, to, to everyone or would it be the same thing? Those on the top will have all the beautiful, um, amazing things like being able to double their, um, their, you know, their, their healthy life and so forth. And does that concern you that uh, this, uh, you know, that, that we will have the same kind of uh, bubbling to the top? of all these amazing technologies that uh, transhumanism is, you know, is, is promising? Well, I mean, I, I think this is where, you know, you have to take a balance and also, uh, you know, a bit more of the libertarian in me comes out. And I also, I want to say that I have, my universal basic income is very much based on utilizing the resources of federal land. In America, you know, we have trillions of dollars of federal land easily yeah. enough to provide universal basic income. We just need to monetize that and all of a sudden, we would have the money. It doesn't even need to raise taxes. Um, but I, I think ultimately, you know, the, the you have to you have to go back to what we originally talked about, which was there are individuals that create things, and um, and almost just how you said it, you have your freedom, you have your space, and that gives you 
originality and that gives you creativity. So it's in society's best interest to let you have your own, you know, kind of space and platform and freedom and, and you're not hungry, you're not worried about, you know, your kids having healthcare in order so that you can create not only for yourself, for all of us. So I am not advocating taking money away from the rich. I'm not advocating taking, uh, you know, holding them back in any way. I think what we just need to come to is a place where we don't have, you know, what my ideal scenario would be something like where we have, I mean, obviously in ideal scenarios, everyone has anything that they want, but that's not it. My ideal practical scenario would be that we have basically no uh, bottom class. We have a middle class across the board and everybody has the freedom and the time and, you know, whatever to do whatever they want. And those that want to go off and do art or do science or do coding in little companies that might become giant companies, that would be great. So there is a balance to be struck between capitalism and universal basic income, which sounds almost like socialism or even communism, but it's actually not. A universal basic income is really just taking care of the very uh, basics of society so that nobody has this extreme suffering and everybody then has the platform like a diving board to jump off and do great things that they want. And going back to what you were saying, I think, you know, art, independent artists and independent, uh, especially just art, um, we need to give platforms so people have creativity to write the novels, to do the paintings, to do every kind of weird thing that they ever wanted to do, because it's those weird things that often lead society forward. And as you mentioned, most people can't do that unless they feel like they're hung- they're not hungry. You know, they they are not worried about not being worried. caught out in the storm. And so, it's in capitalism's best interest. It's in capitalism's best interest, even doggy dog capitalism's best interest to provide a universal basic income, to provide a bottom so that people don't fall beyond a certain level of their survival and they're able to perform and create. And that's how capitalism will thrive most. So, you know, I gotta be honest, I'm not necessarily provide, I'm not necessarily suggesting a universal basic income because I'm trying to be a nice guy. That, that's actually not it. I think it's a very yep. practical decision yep. to support them because they will contribute overall to capitalism in, in, in the over, you know, in, in the final kind of day. But even more important than that, I think is this idea that transhumanism moves forward because we don't have civil war. The last thing we need is an asteroid to hit the planet, a plague to hit the planet, or something terrible to happen. And then all of a sudden we lose people or society and progress stops. What we need is a stable economy, upward climb to try to defeat aging, to try to bring the future closer. And that most importantly, does requires people not picking up their pitchforks and trying to take down the rich and stop the economy. So universal basic income is also very important just for structural stability of an entire society and countries moving forward. If we can keep everyone saying, hey, life is okay, then we don't have to have civil wars that literally stop economies. So there's a number of reasons to have universal basic income. And one that's underappreciated is the fact that society that's, that are stable tend to produce more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think uh, Frederick Hayek, I was reading his, um, one of his classics, The, the Road to Serfdom, he, he does say exactly that, that, um, you know, we need to make sure that, um, that we have a safety net. This is Frederick Hayek. <laughs> this is the guy that um, is the, sort of the god of, of uh, you know, rough capitalism, but even he understands that, you know, it is part of the mechanism of capitalism for that today it works that, you don't have monopolies, for instance, that will stifle uh, creativity, right? Um, when you have a, when you have an Amazon or a Google that is just eating up uh, everybody else, 
you know, that stifles innovation, right? Um, so there is, there's sort of a, there is a, there's a, I think there's an engineering that needs to happen to a certain extent. And I'll, uh, you know, of course not planning, all right, but sort of just keeping the ecosystem healthy is, is, um, is I guess what you're saying, I think. Yeah, yeah, no. And, and that's, I think one of the most pressing factors and probably the, you know, if I was ever to go into front of Congress and discuss United States Congress and discuss why we need a universal basic, Income. One of the things I'd say is, well, it would be stability for society. You don't have people robbing other people. You don't have people murdering other people nearly as much when they have a place to sleep at night, when they have enough food, when they have health care, when they get to go to the Bahamas on their universal basic income and play the guitar because they want to learn the guitar. Those people don't turn in to become murderers. They don't turn in to become thieves. They turn in to become productive members of society and, and people that contribute overall to the welfare of a country. So stability and well-being are, are very intricately tied to why we'd want that. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm it, one of the breakdowns we've seen in San Francisco, for example, is all of a sudden the, the rich have gotten so rich and the poor have gotten so poor that you're seeing thievery and cars broken into like left and right. It's getting scary to walk on the streets. And that's because the poor haven't been taken care of and nor have the homeless. Had yep. they been taken care of, they wouldn't be breaking into cars. Yeah, and there is a, sen a sense of, um, mm, mm, uh, I would say, to a certain extent, justified a sense of injustice, right? How can you, you, um, you know, be so concerned about uh, making sure that your car doesn't get scratched when people are sort of dying, not dying, but they are well, dying, you know, because they are so desperate that they get you know, to drugs and, and they are just, just shoot until they die, right? And you have all these... Um, all these young kids who are making 200k, you know, as a base salary, being able to drive all these cars. So if I were one of those, I would be, I would say, screw the moral system that is uh, <laughs> that is screwing me, right? I need to take care of myself. These guys are taking care of their themselves, and so that um, it becomes, you know, there's immorality on both sides. It's the immorality of the people who don't care about other human beings, and the immorality of the people who are now breaking into other people's properties. And then so, so like what you're saying is a. Uh, I think that people don't understand how important it is to think about um, the bigger picture, you know, that, uh, that we are not atoms and there are consequences to what we do. Um